Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. As I said last week, I've taken some Sundays this summer to address some various church matters. Uh, I began with the two ordinances of communion and baptism. And then last week, I started a short uh, two-part series on church membership. And all of this is because uh, I haven't spoken on it for a while. I was just thinking last week, I think it's been about seven or eight years since I have uh, preached on this message. On one hand, it is a good reminder for God's people in the body of its necessity and importance. But also, we are having a number of people visiting the church who are looking for a new church home. That could be you this morning. And so you need to hear these uh, fundamental aspects of church ministry, especially as they, or as you, I should say, are considering being a part of this body. I was saying something last week. This is about providing a foundation for doing what you should do. And that person said, I agree. (laughs) And so that was good to hear that from them. You know, I think one of the most insightful texts about church membership is right here in chapter 4 of Ephesians. I want you to follow with me as I read verses 11 through 16 as I did last week. Paul writes, And he, that is speaking of Jesus, after his ascension, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. What is interesting about this passage is that membership... (laughs) is not even mentioned. But it is certainly described, especially there in verses 15 and 16, the intricacy and dynamic of church life. It's just resilient with it there in those two verses. And what is beautiful about Ephesians itself is that you have Paul here writing to a local church about the church universal In both chapters 2 and 3, Jew and Gentile in one body on equal footing. That is all believers everywhere. But then how it should function within the local church as we just read there 
in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is about the church. That is its theme. Now, it does seem that no matter where I am at, there are professing Christians who have excuses for not joining the church. And more often than not, these reasons are self-centered. They're not God-centered. And yet many of these people will join other organizations, other clubs. I know of men who are part of a, a hunting club, a fishing club, uh, the golf club, <laughs> the Eagles, the Elks, the JCs, And they'll pay their dues and be a part of those organizations. And yet they won't join the church. That just doesn't make sense. I mean, if you claim you are a Christian, a part of God's universal church, then you should seek to join a local church. If not, it really is a contradiction of your profession. It is. And so to turn this around, I do believe it's important to see what the Bible has to say on church membership. And then, with humble hearts, apply its principles. Last week, I began by asking and answering three questions concerning the matter. And we only got through the first one. (laughs) And that is, what is church membership? What is church membership? I'm not going to go through it piece by piece. But you do have the notes before you. On your sheets there, but I would encourage you actually to go back and listen to the message if you haven't. I do believe that it will give you better perspective and also provide a solid foundation for all that we're going to cover today as well. And so this actually brings me to the second question. And that is this, why is church membership necessary? Why is church membership necessary? Well, first of all, it's about identification. Let's just start with that, okay? It's about identification. You see, when sinners who join themselves to Christ by faith, what do they do? They publicly identify themselves as His disciples. That is what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Listen to these words. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Those two verses come in the context of what it is to be a true disciple. And the point of that whole text is that a true disciple of Christ is not ashamed of being such. They willingly and wholeheartedly confess Christ, even if they are persecuted. And the same is true of church membership. It's about identification. You are simply acknowledging before the leadership and God's people of a local body of believers that you are a follower of Christ and want to unite with them in fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what it is. And so, yes, salvation is not only about identification with Christ, but also His church of which He is the head. Think about that. 
We say that we've been joined to Christ, who is the head of the church. Therefore, we should be a part of what? The local church. (laughs) It's not complicated. So again, it's about identification. That's where we have to start. That's the foundation right there. Also, church membership is necessary for loving accountability. That's number two. It's necessary for loving accountability. You see, the purpose of such is to help each believer in their walk with the Lord. You heard Rod this morning say, hey, when you greet one another, ask how you're doing in the Lord. (laughs) That's loving accountability. We shouldn't have a problem with that when someone asks us, right? Are they intruding? (laughs) No. It's because we love one another. We care for one another. And you know, at times this may include restoring a brother or sister in Christ who has fallen into a pattern of sin? Yeah. We talked about church discipline last week. Some of this was captured in our scripture reading this morning in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. But I want you to look with me further at 1 Thessalonians 5. Take your Bibles and turn there, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be turning to a number of passages, so have your Bibles ready. Or your iPods ready, however it works for you. First Thessalonians 5. Like what it says there in verses 14 and 15 as the apostle is closing this letter. What does he say to the church body, the local church body? We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But all we seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And so as you can see from those two verses that we just read, that this whole matter of accountability is not just the pastor's responsibility. No, by no means. This is a corporate thing. This is what we do as a church body. I like what John Piper once said. Sanctification is a community project. (laughs) And when you read Ephesians chapter 4, that is very, very clear. So church membership is necessary because it's about identification. It's about loving accountability. But there's another good reason for church membership, and it's this, to serve God and one another. To serve God and one another. How many times do you see the one another's in the New Testament? It's all over its pages. The one another's, who are they? (laughs) The church. And by the way, this whole matter of Serving God and one another is a command of God in His Word. We are commanded to serve. We're saved to serve. And you do this primarily in the context of the local church. This is where you have the opportunity to get involved in various church ministries where you will come to know and use your spiritual gifts. 
I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple passages here. Romans chapter 12. And I want to read verses 1 through the first part of verse 6. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he transitions and says this, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. What are two key things that you draw out of that passage when you look at it? Number one, the importance of having a right heart in serving. That's how he starts this whole context out. There in verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It begins right there. Because if your heart's not right with the Lord, how is it possible to do what follows? And then he goes on in verses 3 to 6 to talk about the grace that comes to each believer when they're saved. That grace is gifts that he gives you to serve in the local body. So it's very important that you have a heart that's right with the Lord. And then to remember always that God has graced you with gifts to serve in the local church. Now, turn with me also over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength of which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what you have in these verses is, is again, that reinforcement of God's grace to the heart of a believer to serve. But there's something else here that's pointed out, is that when you serve, you do it for what? God's glory. That's the purpose. And so therefore, if you're not willing to join Christ's church, represented here at Bethel, let's say, we don't have you serve. Now you might think, wow, that's pretty harsh. No, it's not. Because more often than not, 
your heart's not in the right place. You have a heart issue. It's even possible that you're not a believer. And so therefore, you would not be worshiping God. You would not be glorifying Him in your service, which it is all about, right? The lost cannot glorify God. They're about themselves, not Christ. We need to remember that. That's why those passages that I read are so important to be reminded of. Now, having said that, are there some exceptions? <laughs> I do have people asking me that question at times. Well, let's take, for example, let's say someone is a member of another church in another city and they come to Green Bay for a little while. Let's say a college student, okay? And they just want to identify with this local church and serve. We don't have a problem with that. Why? Because they are a member of a local church elsewhere. They want to keep their membership there because after the semester is over, they're going back home. Not a problem. Also, even within this church, there are mothers and fathers who are members of this church body, who have children who are not members, and yet they want to do things in the body together. We don't have a problem with that. It could be that you might invite somebody, an unbeliever, to a church event here at the church. Whatever it may be. It's one of those one-time events. And then afterwards, maybe there's some cleanup that needs to take place. And the person says, hey, can I stay and help with you? We don't have a problem with that. No. But overall, beloved... To obey God, it's necessary to join a local church. To set aside any personal issues that you have with membership. And become a part of Christ's church in a local area. Serving Him and others with the grace that He has bestowed upon you. Remember that. As a believer, God's grace has been bestowed upon you. He has given you gifts, grace gifts... To serve in a local church. That is God's will for you. So why are you waiting to join his church? Very quickly, number four. Church membership is necessary for effective evangelism and discipleship. It's necessary for effective evangelism and discipleship. Now, every person... Born again is called to evangelize and disciple, right? Right? Yeah, I knew you knew that. Sometimes I just have to draw it out of you, all right? But it's done best working together in and through the context of the local church. I mean, when you lead others to Christ, where do you send them? Back home? To watch a church service on TV? Or maybe to hear the, the most dynamic preacher on the internet or on the radio? I would trust you would say, no. <laughs> I mean, when and where will they be baptized? Where will they serve? 
I mean, these are rhetorical questions I'm asking you. The answer is obvious. The church. The church. Look with me at what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1. Go with me to Philippians 1. Part of the introduction to that small epistle. I want you to notice what Paul said to those believers. Philippians 1, 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Notice this. In view of your participation in the gospel, that is the sharing in the preaching of the gospel from the first day until now. Yes, as individuals, we're called to evangelize. Here, He's thanking God that together the church is what? Sharing the gospel. It's effective. Effective best in that way. Look with me also back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. We talk about discipleship here. Look what it says. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow. Christ is the head of His church. You are joined to Christ, therefore you are to be joined with His church, the local church. So may God help you to see the significance of this. Church membership is necessary because it's about identification, loving accountability, serving God and one another, and it's necessary for effective evangelism and discipleship. Finally, an important reason for church membership is this. Protection from error. Protection from error. This sort of goes back to loving accountability. Just a more specific application of it. Today, I will tell you there are a number of Christians. I know this. Because I face it regularly. There are a number of Christians not committed to any one church who follow the latest fad, the latest program, the latest teaching that's out there. And they're being led actually down wrong paths. They're being distracted from Christ and they're falling away from the truth. What they don't realize is that they are dining on the devil's buffet. But God has raised up sound local churches with leadership to protect His flock from strange worldviews and false teaching. I think it's interesting what Jesus Himself even said. And this is before the church began. In John chapter 10, verses 9 to 16, just listen to these words. I am the door. 
If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was not an owner of the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now I want you to look with me at what Paul said to the elders of Ephesus at Miletus. Turn with me over to Acts. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. Besides Acts 2, I love Acts 20. It's sort of like the elders of Ephesus are on a retreat. (laughs) They're on the island of Miletus there and Paul is coming to meet them. And this is what he says in verses 28 to 32. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And one more passage. Let's go back to Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, I come back to the same passage that I've looked at a number of times here. But this passage here describes church membership. In verse 14, we have these words. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. Amen and amen. And so if you're out there, freewheeling it, so to speak, stop! Stop and join a solid Bible-believing church. And if not here, somewhere else where they preach the Word of God. And and the leadership cares for the church body and is willing to protect them and wants to protect them. It's all in part for your protection. That is why church membership is necessary. Could there be a few other things we could say? Sure. But I believe these are the utmost, which you just heard. But that brings us to one final question to answer. And that is this. How do you become a church member? How do you become a church member? You can probably answer this question yourself. 
Because I have indirectly spoken to it a number of times already. (laughs) I want you to look back with me to a couple verses that we looked at last week. When we began last week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. These are the words of Jesus just before His ascension. Some of His words. The last three verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We know these verses. Sometimes we say them by rote without even giving thought to it, but we should. Because this is what we are about. He left this with His disciples and by extension the church. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we find the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaching. And he's preaching the gospel. And it says there in verses 41 and 42. So then, those who had received his word, that is the word that Peter was preaching, the gospel, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Wow, what a service. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So very simply, to become a church member, you must be what? Saved and... Oh, there you go. From the mouth of babes. Saved and baptized. That's what the scriptures say in both of those passages. Very clear. Saved, baptized, and added to the church. These are the essentials. They're not established by Bethel Baptist Church. No, but by God. In His Word. It's clear. And so if you desire to join this fellowship, the leadership would love to sit down with you and hear your testimony. How you got saved. How God changed your life. And your passion for God and His people. And the desire to serve. And so pick up a packet at the Welcome Center. We've got a number of them there for you. Fill it out and bring it to the office. And then a couple of elders will follow up. And they will listen to your testimony and affirm what God already knows. That's what it's about. And after that, you'll be presented before the church and added to the body. That's it. There's nothing more to it than that. And yet there are some who refuse to join the church. Why? Don't let how we facilitate the process get in the way of it. I think sometimes that's the issue. It's just administration that every church has the freedom to do. 
fact, I'm confident that if this is the place where God would have you, then you will follow through with this aspect of God's will. It won't be an issue. I trust that over the last two weeks that you have a better understanding of church membership. Again, I realize this terminology is not in Scripture. But as someone said to me last week, neither is the word Trinity. And yet we believe in the Trinity, don't we? That term is not used. And yet both the matter of church membership and the Trinity, that teaching is found all over the pages of Scripture. If you would, turn with me as we close to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy, you have the Apostle Paul talking with Timothy about church matters. And I love these words in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. I love those verses. As Christians, the one organism that should be your priority outside the home is the church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Don't you want to be a part of that? Amen. Amen. This is where we worship God together. This is where we are led in His ways through His Word. This is how we encourage one another. This is how we grow in Christ. And so may God help you as God's people to do the right thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word this morning. And just looking at this important matter of church membership. It's all over the pages of the New Testament for us to read. I realize that in many ways I'm speaking to the choir this morning. But there could be some out there who are not a part of this church body or are looking for a new church home. God, speak to that heart. God, you can do what no man can do. What's impossible with men is possible with God. And so I pray that you'll work in hearts, change hearts, for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.